Hello, I'm Jamie Finch-Penninger and welcome to The Breakdown Podcast. I'm here with Hamish Gorman as we tackle your cycling questions at Coach's Corner where Hamish tackles a topic each week on cycling coaching and Zero to Hero where I become a kick-ass cyclist. Hamish is with me, say g'day Hamish. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Cheers Hamish. So on to what we've been up to this week. I haven't been up to a great deal. I I did a few previews of upcoming racing. I, I did some interviews with notable people in the cycling community, just getting prepared for nationals and sending a few emails off. It was basically a very boring paperwork week for me. Hamish, how about you? Mate, I was flat out in the clinic this week. I was also prepping some people to keep their cycling training going over the Christmas period, which is always a busy task, taking into account family events and days off work and holidays and the like. And also then some exciting meetings taking place, looking for some opportunities to coach within the NRS system. Uh, Can't say too much about it yet, but hopefully have some good news over the, the next couple of weeks. Exciting meeting sounds a bit like an oxymoron, but I'll let you go on that. I think we should move on into Zero to Hero. And welcome back to this week's Zero to Hero, where I had a fun week riding my bike, though it fell apart on me. I had a few issues with my front derailleur. As we said last week, it wasn't going too well, and this week it almost conked out entirely, so I I can only get it into one gear, and I figured that I might as well put it in the lowest gear so I can go up the climbs when need be. I just spent the last few rides of the week searching out some hills to go up, as I couldn't do much on the flat. Hamish, how would you say that might limit an athlete's training or preparation? Well, it's obviously going to limit you to being able to perform on the flat and maintain consistent rides, but also, obviously, your enjoyment and the ability to stay out on the road for any length of time is going to be decreased because you're not going to be able to get that feeling of of working on the flats and and enjoying that feeling so probably i'm guessing what happened is you were still able to push up the hills and get some fitness gains from it but everything other than that was probably significantly reduced and so your overall training load from the ride was also probably a little bit lower than what it would have been I think your enjoyment point was a was a good one because I only did four and a half hours this week and it it was really frustrating getting to the point where, you know, you feel that you can go along the flats at a decent rate but you just can't push any harder on the pedals because there's nothing more to, to give there. Yeah, so I think I have this conversation with people all the time about the uh, equipment that they're using and what how they're choosing to ride and their setups and I think at the end of the day, having gear that works and allows you to be out there on the road and enjoy being out there on the road and not having to worry about what you're doing is really important to maintaining the consistency which we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks so i know you've ordered the heart rate monitor and we're going to use that going forward but i think making sure that your bike's set up in such a way that you want to get out on it and there's not another excuse not to is going to be really important over the christmas period because we know there's going to be a few days coming up where it it is hard, so getting the equipment right is important. Yeah, when you're loaded down on Christmas turkey and ham, um, it might be a bit tougher to get up the motivation. Actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was on motivation, and it's for any tips that you have on suffering, particularly up the hills, because I feel not so much getting to the top of the hill, which is a, 
a good goal which you can you know you can see and you can set yourself to getting to getting to the top but going over the top and then continuing that effort through when once you've reached that finish marker which you had in your head have you got any tips on how to push through the pain there it's an area where a lot of riders go flat and that ability to push up through the last part of the hill and over the top is difficult i think there's two ways to think about it one is what you're talking about the the push at the end and the maintain but in a lot of ways that can be a result of poor pacing on the hill so that you're actually peaking your effort and, and running out of gas right at that line that you've set yourself. Whereas if you set your sights over the hill and set yourselves onto that flat a little bit more so that you're actually putting out your last effort on the flat and not still going up the hill, then it might allow you to continue that momentum a little bit further. Okay, well, I'll try and put some of that advice into practice. You know, fingers crossed. We'll see how it goes. Um, so what's the plan for next week? What what have we got on the agenda? So I think next week there's two things that are going to happen. One is that we need to get the derailleur fixed on the bike. The second is we're going to start utilizing your heart rate monitor and we're probably going to do a what we call a functional threshold heart rate test, which is a 20-minute time trial to start setting up some zones for you to utilize with your heart rate monitor. And then what we'll do towards the end of the week, hopefully, is maybe set a couple of sessions where we can actually start to utilize those heart rate zones on the road. So if that happens at the end of next week or the beginning of the week after, then I'm fine with that. And with that introduction of heart rate training, we'll be more specific with some of our zones and some of our efforts that we get you to do on the road. So we're moving out of this kind of preparation or holding phase that we've been in over the last couple of weeks and moving into that base period of training, I think. One one problem might be the New Year period where obviously it becomes harder to train and harder to stay on goals. Is there any particular allowance you put in to training programs for athletes? I mean, not so much for your top-end athletes who should be in top form at this time of year, I would imagine. Yeah, it really depends on that plan that we've got in place with an athlete and the time they've got available. I guess, like you mentioned, for the top-end athletes, then they're going to be coming into the national series and some high-end racing in January. And so there's not really an allowance over Christmas. You've got to be working hard and you've got to be on form and on song and, and doing the right things. For your less elite athletes that might have goals later on in the year or coming off some racing later late in 2015, then Christmas has a lot more lenience to it. What I like people to do though is put on their calendar or send me their dates and and plan the days that you're not going to be able to ride. So let me know or let yourself know when you can't ride, put that down and then plan around those dates. So like many things in cycling, it's a matter of discipline and preparation. Definitely preparation is key. Okay, that's enough for Zero to Hero this week and we'll go through to Coach's Corner. Today, Hamish Gorman from FTP Training presents his Coach's Corner segment. Hamish, what have we got on the agenda today? Okay, today we're going to look at how to set up and plan for a season. And we're going to take a pretty broad look at that at the start and then hopefully kind of delve into some actionable ways and actionable things that people can do to put in place their own season training plans. It can be a daunting task at the start. But if it's done correctly, it really allows the athlete themselves and whoever else they're working with, with, whether that be a coach or a manager, to plan the 
season ahead, take into account the kind of the races that are going to be there, the holidays or the work that might be in there, the family time, and combine that all together to hit peak form at the right time. And at the end of the day, that's what we're really after is setting a goal and then trying to hit peak form to be in line with that goal. In saying that, we've got some kind of questions that I'm going to ask you, Jamie, to think about before you start training. How does that sound? Sounds uh, great. Uh, I hope to have some answers for you. Okay. So number one is what is the goal or goals of your season? So think about this in terms of the Zero to Hero segment that we're currently undertaking. Okay. When you say goals, do you mean uh, actual physical goals like races or are you talking more existential goals of of achieving a sense of a level of fitness? Look, I think the more specific that we can be in our goal setting, the better. I guess the most common way of looking at this is what's called smart goal setting. Have you ever heard of that before? Outside of, you know, limiting your drinking? I don't think so. (laughs) Smart goal setting is a term used by coaches of all different disciplines to look at ways to narrow down and specify some of our training and some of our goal setting. What it allows us to do is to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timeframe bound in our goal setting. So what we'll do is we'll break those terms down a little bit. So specific refers to us probably being race-orientated rather than that existential goal. Measurable means that we want to be able to quantify that achievement. So think about your goals and, and whether or not you can actually say whether you've achieved that or not. Okay, at the end of the day or at the end of the season. Attainable, you want to be able to work towards it. And that kind of flows again into realistic. Is your goal something that at the end of the day with the time that you have, the ability you have, the equipment you have, that you think you can manage and time frame bound? We want it to be something that has a time on it. So that might be a specific race on a specific date or ride a certain distance in a certain time frame. And what that allows us to do is actually check a box at the end of the day and be able to say, yes, I achieved it or no, I didn't. And it start, stops it being wishy-washy. In that case, I don't have an answer for you as yet, but we are moving forward to goal setting, I think, in, in future episodes. I think that we will have an answer for you by then. I do have my eye on a grand fono or two, but nothing concrete as of yet, just because I need to check race dates and all that sort of stuff. So I know that was a little bit long-winded, so let's go on to the second question. So that's about what are the race demands? So what's the course? How long is it? How fast is it? How does it usually finish? And what are the key components to that? Well, ideally, I'd love to be able to do a bit of everything in in my cycling. I don't want to be just somebody who can ride on the flats or I don't think I'll ever be a, a hilly mountain goat. Yeah, so what that might mean is identifying the key components in a Grand Fondo or the key hill that you've got to climb and being able to start thinking about how you would replicate that in training. The third question is what will limit my chances of reaching the goal? So that's starting to think about the things that might hold you back. Is there anything that you have in mind that could hold you back at the moment? Obviously, time constraints and travelling might pose a problem, but you can work around those things. It's not it's not entirely a roadblock to achieving the goal. And whilst it means that the goal might have to be modified or, or looked at, I mean, I don't think anything's 
unachievable because of any obstacles that I foresee at this stage. So basically where we're at at the moment is without setting a specific goal, it's really hard to be able to look at what's going to limit your chances of achieving that goal. So, But once we start setting that SMART goal in place, then what you're going to be able to do is look at the demands of that and then look at the limiting factors for that. So it might be a significant climb. It might be winning, winning a certain race that requires a good sprint when you don't have one yet. So what we've got to do with those things is, is start to understand where we're at now so that then we know what we need to improve. Question four is starting to look at what time we have available to achieve that goal. So that leads into what you were saying before. How does your calendar stack up for the next 12 months? Well, I'm busiest uh, during the middle of the year when all the major races are on and it probably peters down towards October. So October is really when the last of the racing, at least in Australia, happens and by that stage the World Tour is pretty much done as well. So I'm looking to I'm looking to the November December races of which there are quite a few. I've put some research into looking at each. So I think I'll make a decision soon and we can get some dates up and ready. Yeah, perfect. And I think the key component for you there is going to be able to start mapping out your calendar for the next year. And probably that's going to be around some of the big grand tours and and how they're going to limit your training time, whether that means late nights or travel. And the travel is definitely going to come as part of the the local Australian racing season. So that might mean organising to take your bike with you. It might planning a big week before you go so you can rest whilst you're away. Or it might mean some nighttime trainer sessions whilst you're watching the Tour de France. So for the last question that I've got, it's what other help will you need along the way? So this might be nutritional help. It might be family help. It might be you need the help of your local bike riding community to keep you motivated. So we need to look at the things and the other people that we can involve in your goal setting and involve in the year. They're going to help you stay motivated going to help keep you fit and healthy on the bike and then also going to mean that they can provide the support at home so that happens a lot of the time with riders who have wives at home or husbands at home or have young kids at home that may either if they if they provide support it can be perfect for their riding whereas if there's a negative energy around that that then can really affect a rider's ability to achieve their goals so making sure you have family support at home in whatever form that takes is really important yeah i didn't notice financial on those lists of restraints and that's possibly that's definitely one of them i've found in my other sporting pursuits that i'm more conducive to performing well and doing training and getting along and and really getting involved when it's more of a team environment. So I think the social aspect of sport is important to me, so I will be looking into cycling clubs. Um, I do want to get to a stage where it won't be completely embarrassing when I rock up for the first time, so it might be a goal down the line to join a cycling club or find a good bunch ride or get some mates um, who cycle regularly and join them on their rides. So definitely living in Sydney, this shouldn't be an issue. Any any people out there who have a cycling club that could welcome Jamie in their ranks and, and want to be part of the Breakdown podcast, give us a shout out and we'll get him on board and come and ride with you soon. Yes, and we can guarantee you all the fantastic publicity that comes along with the show and, well, we'll be growing anyway, so we'll grow. you can grow with us. And we can guarantee a good time, if nothing else. 
Cheers, Hamish. And so what aspect of season preparation are we looking at next? Okay, now what I want to do is introduce you to four of my main golden rules, so to speak, that to take into account when you're planning a season. The first being training should move from general to specific as the event draws closer. So what this means is that the further away you are from your A race or, or key goal, the less specific your training needs to be to that goal. Let's take into account that your A goal or A race is a 160 kilometer grand fondo and at the moment you're trundling around chatswood on your bike and and you're doing rides that are an hour in length now the specificity of that and the and the way that that replicates the event is is not that close in a lot of ways but if our goal is in november and we've got 11 months time to prepare for that then that's not a serious concern but what we need to do is as we move closer to that event we need to be bringing your training more and more into line with the racing that's going to take place. And I think we were, we were talking off air about how this applies to the pro scene as well. We're talking about the five-minute efforts that you need to do going into doing a course like the Nationals at Mount Bunningyong. So the five-minute efforts up the hill, which are going to be repeated throughout the circuit as they go round and round and round, replicating that sort of effort as you get closer to the event becomes more and more important. Yeah, definitely. So I believe the... The circuit for the under-23s this year is 13 laps, which will mean 13 climbs of five minutes in length. So if we want to start getting really specific with our training, then we can look at replicating cert- those certain efforts and the timeframes with which they occur and bringing those into training so that when racing comes around, it's not a surprise and that athletes know where they're at and know what they're capable of. And I think that's really important. Is it as much that mental knowledge of what, what your body can do as the physical preparation, which is important? Yeah, definitely. I think the two go hand in hand. As the physical preparation improves, the mental ability and the mental resilience comes along with it. It's hard to be confident if you've never done something before. Fair enough, fair enough. And what are we looking at next? Point two, the faster the gains, the quicker the losses. So what this refers to is that if you've been quick to gain fitness, then you're likely to be quickly to lose fitness. Whereas if you've steadily built up fitness over a long period of time, then the time frame with which that dissipates once training reduces or ceases is likely to be longer. This is where we get all the talk of base kilometers at the start of a season and which allows you to maintain that long level of fitness that you need for you know doing an entire season on the bike. Especially for the pros, once the high level of race days start to creep into a season, then it can be quite hard to maintain that level of volume that you were able to gain early in the season. So by getting that high level of volume early in the season and year after year, it allows the athletes to cope with these day-in, day-out racing much easier. And then if something goes wrong, it always also allows them to recover quicker and get back into racing more easily. That did bring up a question that I was thinking of. When an injury does occur, how how much of the season planning has to change as a result of that injury? Say, like, I'll just use the example of Simon Gerrans from last year. He had a crash, he had a crash of his mountain bike going into the season, which must have seriously wrecked up all his plans. And then he had multiple crashes throughout the season, and he kept on moving his goals further and further back. Yeah, look, I think in that case especially when injuries or illness uh, stack on top of each other, pretty much the original season plan would have been torn up and thrown out the window. Now, I can't speak for the specific situation because I have no knowledge of 
the coaches involved and, and exactly what they did. My thoughts along the line would be that one injury or one bout of illness can be absorbed within a season plan. And depending on the time frame of which that takes, then we can kind of incorporate that, move on from that and still maintain those same A goals and be realistic with that. Now, obviously, that depends on the fineness and, and how close to the edge you're running within your season plan. Look, it's definitely going to influence it. And, and obviously, for someone like Garen's last season, wasn't probably what he would have wanted it to be at the start. No, definitely not. And very unfortunate from his point of view. Okay, the third golden rule. Hamish, what have you got for us? A peak by its very nature means fitness must be gained and lost. So when we're thinking about training and we're thinking about peaking for a certain event, then if we envisage that like like a mountaintop peak, is it, it goes up on one side and down on the other. And if we want the peak to be highest, then we've got to drop down on the other side. Because what we're trying to do with this fitness gains is push the envelope and push the edge as you're training. And so that means that that timing has to be really accurate. And so the higher the peak and the harder we're pushing for it, the less time frame window that we have at the top and the sharper the peak. I suppose sticking with the mountain analogy, that would be a plateau at the top? Yeah, well, a plateau is almost the opposite. So when someone tries to maintain fitness over an entire racing season or through through a series, then they're having to plateau in some form. Now, if it's a series of events that you're trying to do well over and you're not trying to get your absolute best performance at one event, then that might be fine and that might result in winning the series. However, if you're peaking for an event that happens once every four years, like the Olympics, then you want to be in the absolute best fitness at that time frame. And I suppose it goes to what sort of rider you are as well. I mean, if you're a Chris Froome or something who has essentially one goal a season, which is the Tour de France, you want to be building towards that goal for the entire season. Whereas if you're a domestic and you have a lot of jobs which you have to do throughout and say one one week you're working for your classic specialists and then the next week you're going to like a hilly stage race or something, then you can afford to be more of that plateau rider who rides at, you know, 90% of his of his ability throughout. And that's where the goal setting becomes really important. And that's going to change rider from rider and year to year and from the discipline to discipline. But I think the easiest way to think about it is from the that Chris Froome example and from the single peak year. Now, we also have lots of riders and, and lots of athletes who perform multiple peaks within a year and they fitness comes and goes and and they're trying to peak multiple times throughout the year and that becomes much more difficult the more often we try and peak and the more times we peak throughout a year trickier that management of the athlete becomes and the fourth and final point on hamish's golden golden rules plan your rest training hard is important but resting is almost more important in a lot of ways because it's where those fitness gains are really maximized and allows your body to reset, recover and move forward from that hard training block. And by planning your rest and taking that into account, it stops riders, which a lot of them do have a tendency to do, which is overtrain. So by incorporating the rest into your plan and scheduling for it the same way you do for your other training, we stop that overtraining syndrome occurring and we avoid having to have weeks or months off at a time. 
And that will end this week's Coach's Corner, but join us next week as we continue our delve into planning your season with periodization and the look at how it can affect your season training. If you want to look at the show notes for today's episode, go to our site, breakdownpodcast.weebly.com, and the notes we put up there. Okay, and we're back with the question box, and... Today we do have a question from a Louise F, who asks, what's the best legal performance enhancer for cycling? When I got this question, I was A, happy that we got a question, and B, my first thoughts went to caffeine, which you, I mean, obviously it's used in the bunch ride situation where you stop off at a coffee shop and uh, it helps the social atmosphere and it helps give you a bit of energy to get home, but it is used in the professional sphere as well, I know. And there are quite a few studies which have gone into its effectiveness. Yeah, caffeine is a great one. Um, I think the effect of caffeine can be twofold, though. And it occurs around removing caffeine from a rider who habitually drinks coffee. So caffeine is such a widely used drug within our society and within most of us that if you don't feel like you can get up in the morning and go to work without a coffee, then you're probably not going to race well without one either. So yes, while there is some stuff that kind of contributes to performance-enhancing literature, if the subjects that were used for the control without caffeine were coffee drinkers, then we'd probably expect their performance to be worse. What do you think? Clearly, you've identified a slight problem with the scientific rigor. I, I don't know under which circumstances these tests that we were looking at were conducted, but it is true that almost all cyclists... Um, especially the top end ones drink coffee on a regular basis and even if they didn't they wouldn't want to admit it to their mates I wouldn't have thought basically look the research is pretty clear cut that caffeine can enhance performance now the level at which you take that varies from rider to rider and isn't quite as high as what was originally thought so if you're feeling fatigued or you usually drink coffee prior, prior to work then I'd be drinking coffee prior to racing I think you see it in races as well I mean you see cans of coke being held uh, handed out um from team cars or a caffeine gel that sort of thing so you can see it's very widespread use in the peloton but there are other things which do increase well other legal performance enhancing supplements or that enhance an athlete's performance if people want more information or really good information on this then i'd be pointing towards them towards the osport slash AIS page and we'll link that one in the show notes and the reason for it is is that the AIS has a classification range for supplements that is really divided into four groups from group A is the highest level of evidence which involves supplements that they provide to our athletes through to group D which is kind of the banned or very high risk supplements so and then there's there's the classifications B or C you kind of sit somewhere in the middle. So understanding those is really important. But if you want a list of things that work and that have some scientific rigor behind them, then I'd be looking for the group A supplements. And these include things like caffeine, beta alanine, sodium bicarbonate, beetroot juice, and creatine. Yeah, and if you're after a list of things which aren't allowed, there is a useful app which WADA, the World Anti-Doping Authority, provides, which means you can just type in whatever you need checked, if it's on the side of your chemist product or whatever, and you can see whether any aspect of that is a banned substance. There are exceptions where you can use banned substances, and these are called 
therapeutic use exemptions, and there are specific um, allowances for use of them in in circumstances where non-use of them would constitute a risk to the athlete's health. So there's been a couple of examples of those recently, haven't there? Yes, most famously, I think Chris Froome used one during the tour of Romandy, and that that came out and was splashed all over the press. But it was it was an allowed use, mostly because all therapeutic use use exemptions have to be passed through a therapeutic use exemption council, which is made up of doctors and medical professionals who look at look at the application and decide whether it is warranted. I think the problem was that it came during a race period, which had some people wondering whether it did have a performance-enhancing effect. And one of the issues around therapeutic use exemptions is the fact that it is medical information, and so people don't necessarily want their their medical issues being public knowledge. However, in the high-level sporting sphere, then, People want to have access to that information and, and journalists and the public kind of question these therapeutic use exemptions if they're not told exactly what's going on. And, and that's a really fine balance between having access to someone's medical records, which the general public don't have, don't make public, and kind of understanding what people are taking and why they're taking it at a high level. I suppose you could also consider things like altitude training and uh, heat training as part of this block, especially when they, when you see athletes in tents or in um, in chambers doing this sort of area of training, and it just doesn't it doesn't look natural, but obviously these things can be replicated naturally, so definitely enhances your performance. And I think most athletes would agree that it is a part of their training schedules these days. I guess in that regard, it's more of a, a a training intervention than it is a substance ingestion. And I think that's when we're talking about supplements and in and, and that regard, then we're really talking about something that we actively ingest within our bodies, whether that's eating or rubbing on the skin or injecting, that's going to enhance our, our performance and that we don't get naturally. Now, it's a very, very deep topic and it has a lot of ins and outs to it that aren't well understood and I think that's probably one of the key issues is that even within the cycling community or within the high athletic community it can be confusing for athletes. Well thankfully there are quite detailed guidelines on that so go check out WADA or ASADA and their sites if you have any questions about it. Okay, that wraps up the question box. Keep those questions coming. You can send in questions via the hashtag on Twitter, which is hashtag askbreakdown, all one word. Or you can go and put a question on our Facebook page, which is, you know, just search Breakdown Podcast on Facebook. You can go to our site, thebreakdownpodcast.weebly.com, or you can go to actbreakdownpod on Twitter. If you want to follow Zero to Hero, you can see some of my Instagram posts on Breakdown Zero to Hero, and you can view some some of the other photos from my cycling career, actually. I think I'll put up one or two of the media luncheon I went to the other day, and you can see some of the racing photos I take as well. That should be it for the podcast. I've been Jamie Finch-Penninger, and with me has been Hamish Gorman. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be saying goodbye. Hope to see you soon. Bye.